and welcome to Built From The Ground Up. I'm your host, Justin Miller. So I just got ready to record this podcast. And uh, have you ever heard a morning dove? I don't know if they make different sounds or if there's just one. But there's one in particular that really aggravates me. It's the sound that goes like this. I can't, I can't do it right, except this is the best way I could do it. Ooh-wee, ooh, 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 ooh. And they, and they just keep doing it over and over and over. And it's one of those sounds that drives me insane. I can wake up in the morning, I hear that, you know, people like to hear birds. That is not a bird sound to me. That is just the most annoying sound. And it's been that way for me for a long time. I just can't take them. And there's one outside doing it. So I moved down into the basement. I could still hear it. And it's on the other side of the house. So I don't know if there's two of them. Anyway, that's that's something I don't like. So that's that's how I'll start this, this podcast out, complaining about morning doves. I do have a bit of, of a program I wanted to uh, go over this week. First of all, uh, it's... It's been a pretty good week so far. I think I recorded this last one roughly a week ago. And um, just finished a, uh, a seminar this morning, a virtual one. They had it down at uh, Mark Stoner's place in Tennessee. And so we were, we were watching virtually, but it, it was the prior fire system. And that is a retrofit for a fireplace. It's a really unique system. We install what's called an air and fire system and uh, really like that. This one is a little bit different. I think it's got some really good features to it. I'm not sure if it will solve every fireplace retrofit. Maybe it will. I, I don't know, but it's got a really neat system. So it's just another product to be able to add to our our offerings. We have to get some training on it first before we can actually install it. But it looks like a really neat system. Uh, it's going to do a good job for our customers. My technicians are doing well. I'm not sure if you heard in my other podcast, but I have two at the moment. They're doing really well. I'm proud of them, the, the progress they're making, they're learning. Uh, I have them enrolled in the Surefire training program. So they're able to go online and, and learn in the evenings or on, on times where they need some filler time if we have a cancellation on a job or whatever. So they're doing good on that. That's I, I re- highly recommend that. I was going to just do all my training myself, but I realized that's not that's not really a, a, a sustainable method. I, I just can't be everywhere at the same time. But it, it's, it's working out really well. You can create your uh, learning paths for different things and, and then you know, they go on there and take quizzes after they're done and you can monitor their progress. So it's really nice. We've been focusing on getting good reviews from day one. That was my thing. When it was just me out on my own, just by myself, reviews were the most important thing for me as far as advertising. So we've been doing good with reviews. What we find, uh, we just got a couple this week. You know, I, I get reviews that that say, my text names, Hunter and Jason, were here. They were they were polite and courteous. We really appreciated it. 
we never get a review that says my chimney was really clean like never before. They they don't notice that. And Mark Stoner and Chad Murray talked a little bit about this in a podcast of theirs I just listened to. No one ever says my chimney is the cleanest it's ever been. They they don't care about that. What they care about is how polite you were, how professional you were, how you treated their home when you moved your equipment in and out. So that's super important. Focus on that. And this week, um, we're we're running a little game. It's not a competition, but it's a game. And, and this comes from the book, The Great Game of Business. It's important to do these things. You have to have your team's um, win at smaller things within your company. And then overall, they're going to just become winners. And it's an interesting concept. There's a lot to that. Probably talk about that at some point in the future. But we're doing a competition. It's for everybody. It's not divisive. It makes everybody work as a team and it benefits everyone in the same way. So if we can get 10 reviews this month, which is easy, everyone gets a $50 gift card for Amazon. If we can get 20 reviews, everyone gets a $100 gift card. So we get reviews steadily, but we don't, it, it's harder to get people to, to just come forth and put the time into it without, without really reminding them about it. And there's, it's okay to remind people about reviews. You can ask them for reviews. You don't coach them on what to say, but really ask them and tell them, you know, this is, this is a way we can um, know if we're doing a good job and if we need to make improvements and they'll do it but you can you can ask for it right when you're leaving and even wait for them to finish don't put them on the spot but you might have to help people with it so just step them through on our website we have links that they can click very easily to um, put a review on facebook and google and also our system automatically sends out a reminder to them asking them if they can give us a review but it's better if we can just get it done right then and there so that's that's what we're go- what we have going on right now, and the reason you really want to treat your customers well, get those reviews. Hope and and if they're you know there's things you need to work on that will help you find that out. But your customers are your best advertisers. We had a a woman this week. Um, she called for a dryer vent cleaning. She lives in in a in a place where the I, I guess they're um they're like condos or or. or something like that. I, I didn't exactly get the total information, but she's she's now has her neighbors all calling up. We've been we've been been getting flooded with calls for getting um dry rents done in that little subdivision from all of her friends in the area. So your best advertising is probably a happy customer. So remember that. You know, you could spend tons and tons of money on, on ads and getting new customers. But if you can make sure that your cu- current customers are happy and they become your biggest cheerleaders, then that's going to do so much more for you. Now, also this week, we've been doing uh, some pricing on fireplaces and some bigger jobs that are are not beyond our capabilities, but just getting into doing those a little bit more and I have a, a spreadsheet set up, and it, it helps us get our costs together for everything. And what it does is it takes into consideration all the overhead, the payroll, payroll taxes, and I guess what they're called is sink funds. 
So things that we're, we're trying to, to save up for or pay down, we can incorporate that in our hourly rate. So what that does, again, is it, it boils everything down, your, your cost, know your costs, know your numbers. It boils it down into an hourly rate and it factors in how much you'll, you expect to work hourly with your techs, how much they get paid. And it does all this, this math behind the scenes and it, um, helps you know what you should charge per hour. So you, you can't run a business effectively without knowing your numbers, without knowing what it actually does cost you to operate. And you'll be surprised when you start putting it in a spreadsheet or however you want to do it. And the overhead, the fixed and variable overhead costs, and then divide it per month and all that, and you're budgeting for advertising, all that. It needs to translate, at least in, in this type of business, in a service-based business, it must translate into an hourly fee, what you have to charge. So you don't just say, well, I, I pay two techs X amount of money, so whatever that is per hour, and let's just double it. No, it doesn't work that way. You've got to factor it in. You'll be surprised how much you actually need to charge per hour based on you know what you plan on working. So there is a bit of guessing, at least in your first year, you don't know exactly how many hours you're going to be spending on billable work. So there's billable and non-billable. You will be at a house cleaning a fireplace an hour and a half. That's billable time. But now consider the driving there and the driving to the next appointment. So there's all this non-billable time. Figure in 45% of the hours spent working with your techs working. 45% of it's actually not billable. Now that number didn't come out of thin air. That came from from a seminar I was I watched, and and that's what I actually created my spreadsheets on to figure all this stuff out. Um, but if you're a member of the National Chimney Sweep Guild, I originally found this program on there, and that's and I followed the the seminar and I I made my spreadsheet based on um, some forms that they had you filling out as far as your your overhead and all that. So I'm working uh, really hard at, at developing systems. It's it's a it's a bit of a task, and I don't think it ever actually ends if you're a business owner. But you have to develop systems, and this ties back to the the book, the E Myth, written by Michael E Gerber. So it, it's a really interesting system. Um, I'm trying to follow it, and I'm going to get into that in just a little bit here. So I'm developing systems with scalability in mind, and that's the tricky part. So this includes software, scheduling software, the different processes of you know following up with reviews and making them automated, spreadsheets, documents, all the stuff that makes the business work. There's so much behind the scenes to do it in an organized way, to do it so that you can scale it up. And I have a, a problem because... I have a developer background and I've, I've been writing software for for a long time. have some software out there that people pay for. I've, I've made some warehousing software that that's used in facilities. And it's it's an interesting thing because I have to fight the urge to just make something when it when I can't find something that works well for me. So it, it's kind of a dream to be able to, to make that. Like I think everyone would be happy if they could just make the software that works. The problem with software, if you develop it, 
it's such a huge time commitment. There's so much involved in, in working out the bugs and really getting it to work right. So unless you absolutely have to, I would suggest don't build your own software. Even if you've been doing it and you've worked for Microsoft, whatever, you probably know then that it's it's tricky. So you can get something that works, but you know you, you have to baby that for a long time to get the bugs worked out. And then as soon as you get them all worked out, Apple or whatever, they change their their operating system around a little bit and things don't work anymore. So it's a constant struggle. But one major component of our business is inspections. And we have to use good software for that. It doesn't work for us anyway to just take pictures and then upload them to Google Drive. We basically compile a, a report for every sweep that we do. Um, sometimes we don't do it if we're just making a return uh, service call on a, on a customer. Nothing's changed. We, we'll make some updates to it. We'll take uh, pictures and add maybe to the report or the, the file or customer file. But every new customer for sure gets, a, gets an inspection report. That's part of our service. So we, we could just be there to clean. They don't want an inspection. It doesn't matter because we, we do at least a level two inspection with parts of level two involved. So we don't always do a level two. Um, that's required for for real estate transactions, uh, according to NFPA. We do those for all real estate, but but everything else, it's usually just a level one and parts of level two. But we, we try to dig in as deep as we can on each system. Now, the, the point here is we use used a piece of software called Chimspect. It's great. It's it's probably your best bet commercially available uh, inspection report software for chimneys. It's fantastic, and I have nothing but good things to say about it. There's a few bugs here and there, but you know that's with everything. Now the problem for me with that software eventually, um, while I'm developing my systems, it just it it doesn't integrate at the moment into my other pieces of software, my workflow. It per, it just doesn't integrate perfectly and. That's no one's fault. That's just, uh, it's just how it is. Um, but I needed to integrate a little bit better. So I developed my own inspection software. It took me, um, it took me about a month and a half of really big time development. So it, it runs on Android. It runs on Apple. It's also works on the web. So as soon as you take a picture, type in some information that that's, available to, to to the web version of it. So I could have my techs out in the field and they're taking pictures, they're they're typing in information, taking measurements, and I'm looking at it in real time. I don't have to wait for it to come back to the office and sync. And from from both devices, the mobile or web, on a laptop, whatever, we can generate a PDF report and send it right to the customer from there. So it works out really well. That is not going to be commercially available. I have other stuff that is, but I, I will not be selling that. I suggest you use Chimspect and probably over the course of the next year, I would imagine there'll, there'll be some, some big improvements too on that as far as integration with things. There's a program, uh, an online service called Zapier. That's an interesting tool to make different pieces of software talk to one another. They, they work as the middleman. That's another subject altogether, but Maybe check that out too. So now I wanted to just dig in a little bit to the the e myth. This because this is basically my 
my guiding light at the moment with developing of systems. And you, you'll you'll hear about this if you listen to other podcasts. I'm a big fan of Mark Stoner and Chad Murray. They talk about this. So when you think about wanting to start a business, and I'm going to read a little bit from it. Again, it's the E-Myth with, by Michael E. Gerber, and this is the revisited version. It talks about in chapter, actually right at the beginning, about how people basically just all of a sudden they realize they want their own business. Now, this probably happened to you. If, you, if you're thinking about starting a business, you have it, no matter how far into it, just try to remember this. I'm going to read... Let's see. There's there's basically what's called the entrepreneurial seizure. And I'll just read this chapter or the, this first page a little bit. It says, to understand the e-myth and the understanding at its core, let's take a closer look at the person who goes into business. Not after he goes into business, but before. For that matter, where were you before you started your business? And if you're thinking about going into business, where are you now? Well, if you're like most people I've known, you were working for somebody else. What were you doing? Probably technical work, like almost everybody who goes into business. You were a carpenter, a mechanic, or a machinist. You were a bookkeeper or, or a poodle clipper, a drafts person, a hairdresser, and it goes on a little bit. But you were So the point is you were involved in something technical. And it says you're probably good at it, but you were doing it for someone else. Then one day, for no apparent reason, something happened. It might have been the weather, a birthday, or your child's graduation from high school. It might have been the paycheck you received on a Friday afternoon, or a sideways glance from the boss that just didn't sit right. It might have been a feeling that your boss didn't really appreciate your contribution to the success of his business. So it's an interesting thing here so far. And it says... It could have been anything. It doesn't matter what. But one day, for apparently no reason, you were suddenly stricken with an entrepreneurial seizure. And from that day on, your life was never to be the same. So basically, this idea took over. You knew how to do a job. You were technical. Um, but now all this, you had to start your own business. But now, now it talks about what's called the fatal assumption and I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but just some points. It says that fatal assumption is if you understand the technical work of a business, you understand a business that does not does that technical work. So we assume that if we can do the job, then we can run a business doing that job. And that's that doesn't isn't really true. It says, in fact, rather than being the their greatest single asset, knowing the technical work of their business becomes their greatest single liability. So we might be really good at something and that's the job we want to do. But because we're good at that, we're probably not good at the business part or we just don't know enough yet. But we think we can run a business based on the fact that we know how to do the job. And then it says a little bit later, the real tragedy is that when the technician falls prey to the fatal assumption the business that was supposed to free him from the limitations of working for somebody else actually enslaves him. Suddenly, the job he knew how to do so well becomes one job he knows how to do, plus a dozen others he doesn't know how to do at all. Because although the entrepreneurial seizure started the business, it's the technician who goes to work. And suddenly, the, an entrepreneurial dream turns into a technician's nightmare. So the, the main point here is 
Just because you can do the work doesn't mean you can run a business. And if you try to run a business and you don't learn how to do it first, you'll make all kinds of mistakes and it can turn into just being a nightmare for you. And and the business that was supposed to set you free has completely turned itself into the thing that makes you sick to your stomach every morning. So if you're starting a business, if even if you have started one, I highly suggest reading this book, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. Pick it up now. Stop the, the podcast and just order it right now. <laughs> because it's it's it really will change your perspective if you're not familiar with, with some of these ideas. So just that's something to really just think about. Um, another topic I wanted to talk about is the first year exploration. So when you first start out, like I did, and you just jump into it, I didn't read this book when I first started. So I was about a year in more than a year and a half into my business before I read this, well over a year and a half. I think I did some things according to this book because I was listening to podcasts. I was listening to people that were successful. So I did a lot of this stuff already, but I didn't know why. But it was because I was listening to podcasts. Now, the first year for me and for you, it's going to be filled with with not knowing numbers. You don't know numbers until you have them. So in order to know your costs, in order to know your overheads and, and what you need to charge, it might take some time to take those numbers and make sense out of them. So the what you'll have to do is pretty much just guess. You know, come up with some ballparks and, and err on the side of caution. Um, assume, you know, you might think you're going to have X amount of business that year. Well, that's good, but maybe go a little bit more on the lower side just as you're planning things out. It's not really something you should just run into and just start charging whatever. Don't charge something just because your competitor charges it. Don't charge for a sweep what everyone else charges. It It's not the way you want to do it to be successful with it because you'll, you'll quickly realize you're going to have cash flow problems you might charge a, a lot for a job you think, and then when you're all done with it, you realize you didn't make nearly as much as you thought you would because all this other stuff came up. So when you price out jobs, really know the materials that are involved. Plan for some random things happening. Really spend your time. Now, you have to you have to get the work, and you can't be afraid to get it and just you know figure a price out, but... Before you do it, try to plan for it. So you, you think about, okay, if I come across this type of job, here's what I know roughly I'm going will need to charge to, to make my numbers work. Okay, I don't know my numbers exactly. Well, just come up with something that you can guess at. That's a, a, an educated guess. Another thing I wanted to bring out today was you have to get over yourself. A lot of people, when they want to grow, they fear the idea of having employees that can be better than them at something. They don't, they don't want them to be skilled more than them. They want the upper hand. Well, if you're running a business, if you're trying to build a business, you're going to need to step back from the technical work like we just talked about in this, this e-myth book. That's basically what it gets at. You have to stop being a technician. If you want to build a business, one that can run without you, 
that can be run smoothly so that you can um, pursue whatever. And that could be just building the business more. You have to free yourself from being the technician out there in the field. If you're busy doing installs and, and, and sweeping every week and, and doing things that your technicians can be doing, you're hurting the business. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't step in and assist and, and help out and, and take charge of some things. You still might have to do that. But your focus needs to really now switch over onto a, a different area of administration. You're, you're building the business. You're developing systems. You're getting things done that, that only you can do at this point. So you need to train leaders. Don't be afraid to train people to be better than you are at tasks. Oh, they're going to go and start their own business. People are afraid of that. Who cares? <laughs> they're going to do it anyway. So just treat people the best you can. Assume that some people will leave you right from the beginning. Just say, well, I'm building my company to be able to absorb that. Then you won't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit, you know, but you'll get over it. Grow leaders, grow people that understand business. That's that's talked about in the book, The Game of Business, The Great Game of Business. You've got to train people to learn how to operate businesses. They have to understand the numbers. They have to know why things work the way they work. Uh, you can't hide the numbers from people because then they think you're you're just hoarding money. And then they start to develop these these attitudes, these negative views of what they think is going on, or they think what they think you're making and not paying them. But when you show them things, when you teach them how the business works, when you teach them how to build businesses and understand numbers, now they get it. Now they're team players. Now they're working. They're playing the game. Everyone's a, a team member playing the game. Um, and everyone wins at the end. So don't be afraid to train people. Don't be afraid to encourage them to grow. Invest in them. If they leave, they leave. But you have a system built that you can replace them if need be or move someone else up. Uh, into their position. It's something that a lot of people worry about. And when you start to think about these things early on and anticipate, then they won't hurt as much when they actually happen. So those are just a couple points I wanted to talk about this week. The E-Myth is great. I'm going to talk about it. I'll probably say it every single episode. It's It's really an important thing, I think. And I mean, you can ignore that strategy altogether, but just be organized and have plans and, and really set your business up well. What I want to share with is one of the things that's important with the E-Myth method. You have to have an organizational strategy. And what that means is you should right from step, from day one, plan out what your company is going to look like at some point at a, at a specific milestone. And what it looks like as far as staffing. So make yourself a little flow chart. I have one. I modify this slightly uh, every few days. I actually change it a little bit. But right now I have I have the the CEO underneath the CEO is the COO, the Chief Operating Officer. From that I have Vice Vice President of Marketing, Vice President of Operations. Vice President of Finance. Now, I do, I'm do. i all of these things, and, you, and you'll probably be all of them as well if you're first starting out. Now, under Vice President of Operations, I currently have Facilities Manager, Office Manager, Service Manager, Project Manager, Safety Manager, Installations Manager. 
Under marketing, I have a sales manager and an advertising research manager. Under vice president of finance, I have accounts receivable manager and accounts payable. Now underneath my service manager, I have my, my lead service slash installation technician. And underneath that, I have technicians. So I, I'm going to work this out a little bit more. There's, there's some other um, positions here. But the point is I'm fleshing it out and I'm stepping through each one of them a little bit at a time. But I'm working them from the, not from the bottom up, but from the technician up. So, and also the office uh, scheduler uh, positions, scripting out what, what the schedulers are going to say. So going through it and then, then with each one that I come out with my operation manage, manual for that position, now I can fill it. I move myself out of it, put someone there, I give them the operations manual, manual and they, they take care of the job. And I move and focus on to making manuals for the other positions. So gradually, you can start pulling your be- yourself out of each position, and then you can now be the CEO, and that's all you are. Now you can do other things, of course, and other and people can can take multiple manager positions too. You don't need a, a single person for each one, but you need a job. You need a, a a position. That's important. You have to figure out what you want it to look like at a certain point in time, at a milestone, then you can you can work on building those systems for each one. Don't just do it in your head. Get it on paper. Use use a flow chart or draw it with pen and paper and, and create lines that go down to the next person and who they'd be, what that position reports to. Uh, and it, it will really help you in the long run. So that's it for the for the technical points and the and the, the things I want to discuss today. Um, some low level things a little bit, but mainly to get you excited about the Emith book as well, and and about the processes and and just tell you a little bit about what I'm up bit, I've been up to. I wanted to conclude with a story. Now I, I told this story to my wife and she said she already knew it, so I was all happy I found this and she said yeah I already know that I've heard that. <laughs> So she didn't care so much. But I'm going to read it to you. It's called The Group of Frogs. As a group of frogs was traveling through the woods, two of them fell into a deep pit. When the other frogs crowded around the pit and saw how deep it was, they told the two frogs that there was no hope left for them. However, the two frogs decided to ignore what the others were saying, and they proceeded to try and jump out of the pit. Despite their efforts, the group of frogs at the top of the pit were still saying that they should just give up, that they would never make it out. Eventually, one of the frogs took heed to what the others were saying, and he gave up, falling down to his death. The other frog continued to jump as hard as he could. Again, the crowd of frogs yelled at him to stop the pain and just die. He jumped even harder and finally made it out. When he got out, the other frog said, Did you not hear us? The frog explained to them that he was deaf. He thought they were encouraging him the entire time. So the moral of the story is people's words can have a big effect on others' lives. Think about what you say before it comes out of your mouth. It might just be the difference between life and death. So I thought that was a a good, good encouraging story. The only problem I have with it is when the frog who couldn't hear got out, 
he answered their question when they said, did you not hear us? So I, I guess he, they were doing sign language to him. Uh, so that, I, that's the part that confused me a little bit. But the point is, just be careful what you say to people. Be encouraging. There's no point bringing people down. Even if they they need to hear it, try to do it in an encouraging way. Give them some commendation first. Say, hey, you're doing a really good job with this. And then, then bring out something they can work on. Well, that's going to do it for today. I appreciate you listening to me for the last 30 or so minutes. There's a lot to do out there. You probably have a lot of work to do on building your business. Hopefully what I brought brought to your attention today is a little bit helpful. Again, appreciate you listening and be safe out there.